What if you can't throw it away or you can't recycle it? We'll find out on the next EnviroPod. What do you do with leftover paint, motor oil, cooking oil, or other potential icky stuff that you don't want to send to the landfill or recycling center? Well, we're going to talk about that here today on Fairfax County's EnviroPod. I'm Scott Coco, and this is where we discuss the amazing things that the Department of Public Works and Environmental Services does to maintain and improve the environment here in Fairfax County. Uh, we talk to all the great people, including this gentleman here today. Today I have with me Daniel Brooks, the Assistant Complex Manager at the I-66 Transfer Station. And that all fits on a business card, I promise. Um, and he's here to talk about household hazardous waste and to answer a lot of the not burning questions. You, yeah. get, you get it? You get it what I did there? <laughs> That's okay. right. Welcome, Daniel. Um, so, Daniel, let's just, uh, you've been on here before, but let's uh, let's reintroduce you. What do you do? Uh, well, as you, as you mentioned, I'm the assistant complex manager at the I-66 transfer station in Fairfax. I'm also the uh, former hazardous waste uh, program manager and electronics recycling manager for Fairfax. Uh, all of those programs still go through me. And uh, I work with staff to be able to collect and properly dispose of or reclaim any of those potentially hazardous substances, uh, keep residents and, and the businesses of uh, Fairfax County safe. So today we're talking about household hazardous waste. And so tell me, what is considered? What, what, what it do, whether it's the EPA or Fairfax County or the folks down at the transfer station, what is considered household hazardous waste and why do we have a separate from the other things that are collected and recycled? So the most common things that are accepted are what's known as uh, municipal solid waste or trash. So it's the things we throw out in our garbage cans and get rid of. But there are certain things that we don't want to mix in with that trash that have other inherent dangers to them, which we commonly refer to as household hazardous waste. So Or the icky stuff that or I the, Or the icky stuff, right. I like that, the icky stuff. I'll see if we can patent that. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and uh, Virginia Department of Environmental Quality uh, have more stringent regulations for things that don't meet municipal solid waste, a.k.a. hazardous waste. So uh, household hazardous waste is basically leftover or discarded waste or commercial chemical products known as CCPs, and they have certain characteristics to them, uh, ignitability, reactivity, corrosivity. Uh, uh, and toxicity, and so we want to dispose of those differently so that they're not in the municipal solid waste uh, waste stream. And what are some of the specific products that you get a lot of that we really want to remind folks to bring to you? Uh, one of the biggest and most common, of course, are paints. We have different kind of paints. You have latex-based paint, oil-based paint, lead-based paint. We have uh, solvents, what we call solvents, which are flammable liquids or ignitable liquids, things like gasoline, mineral spirits, turpentine, wood finishing products. We do a lot of pool chemicals, uh, aerosol spray cans. Uh, we do things, acids and bases, so muriatic or hydrochloric acid, and a lot of pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, okay. things like that. Paint. Um, what paints do you take? What paints don't you take? And one thing I always find interesting about the program, tell me about what you guys do with the paint. This is interesting. 
Sure. So uh, we take all types of paint. There isn't any type that we don't take. As I mentioned, latex, oil-based, lead-based paint. And depending on the types of paint or how we have to process it or recycle it. So one of the types, uh, oil-based paints, for instance, uh, is a high BTU value, so it has an energy component mm -hmm. to it. So what we like to do is we like to bulk that, and then we'll send that high BTU value oil-based paint mixed with other light chemical compatible products or disposed of products, and we'll incinerate that, and we'll use that for an energy recoveries process known as fuels blending. Hmm. Latex paint, what we do is that if it is a full can or near full can, roughly 90% or more, of still good reusable paint that it hasn't turned or frozen. Right. We have a partnership program with Habitat for Humanity. That's awesome. I love this. Yeah. So it's 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 one of the great things that we've really done um, in the time that I've been here with the county now for about six and a half years. And so we partner with Habitat for Humanity. There's eight select resources throughout the state throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, and they come directly to us based on their protocols and their policies and what they reuse in their building programs. We package everything up per their specifications, sort everything, and donate to them roughly about 5% of all the uh, latex paint in Fairfax County that we collect at our two permanent drop-off locations, the transfer station and landfill, is donated latex paint. Well over 70,000 pounds a year is what we've been doing the last couple of years. Wow. And the, the remaining paint, the leftover latex paint, the stuff that's no good or there's very small quantities. You get uh, that hard, chunky skin yes. that's right on top of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly, right. <laughs> we get that leftover skin and, and that hardened, uh, dried-out paint. What we do is we, uh, we place all that into a roll-off container, a sealed roll-off container, and we get that. We make sure that's all dried up. We do ask that residents try to dry up unusable or, or latex paint that's not mm -hmm. any good. And I, I did that a couple of years ago, and there's good information on the website mm -hmm. um, that explains how to do that and the best way to do that. I found that very helpful myself. Yes, it, it's a really easy process. You can use some kitty litter, some very inexpensive dry absorbent materials. Um, you know, uh, wood fillers, things like that. Very, very easy things to do. Stuff known as speedy dry. But we try to dry that up, and then we we load that into that uh, sealed roll off uh, we were talking about, and we send that down to Covana, which has an incinerator that's a non hazardous waste incinerator, mm -hmm. which is much different uh, than the hazardous waste types of incinerator that right. we talked about. Right. Um, that's why we want that uh, household hazardous waste separate from normal waste and, streams. And let me ask you, just out of curiosity, this is kind of at a higher level. When hazardous waste is incinerated, mm -hmm. what is the output? What gets output? There, you know, when you burn anything, mm -hmm. there's an environmental effect. Yes. Yeah, so what, what, how, how does that work? So you're going to have air emission standards, um, Clean Air Act, the CAA. So we have regulations uh, that we have to abide by because of the potential byproducts or releases of incinerating certain types of uh, waste, especially mm -hmm. hazardous waste. So we have to be able to contain and capture those residues and those air emissions, and then we have to treat that accordingly. So even when we do incinerate things, which is a better process than landfilling right. types of waste or, or other things that we can do like neutralization, different things like that, but ultimately there's a byproduct, and generally that's ash. Uh -huh. And so then we need to take that ash and capture those air emissions – 
Okay, so those scrubbers, right. those filter systems, and we still have to do some of that. And that is ultimately what we then will landfill in a line-treated landfill because it's a much less significant amount compared to what we would have had. And we can treat all the under what's known as underlying hazardous constituents, all the characteristics that the waste is demonstrating, heavy metals, all the things that make something hazardous, hazardous. No, that's great. Uh, you know, because I'm, I'm sure whenever people talk about incineration, you know, and what you can burn and not burn, not you meaning residents, right. but certainly, um, no, that's interesting. I, that, that was always, always curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that comes to you. Yes. How much? How much stuff comes to the hazardous household hazardous waste area. So collectively throughout the course of a year, this past year, uh, calendar year 2019 totals, uh, this excludes a wide variety of categories, but just we'll say in terms of like your solvents, your pesticides, your acids, bases, things like that, we did uh, almost 750,000 pounds of those types of hazardous and a few others. That excludes things like latex paint, which is upwards of 1.5 million pounds. That excludes motor oil, where we're talking thousands of gallons of motor oil and antifreeze, Mm -hmm. uh, cooking oil. So all collectively told, we're talking upwards of a few million pounds uh, collectively of the amount of hazardous waste and related items um, for disposal. Is that a lot? That's a lot. I, compared to other jurisdictions or, or, or smaller communities, maybe more down further in the state, more rural, or maybe Richmond, that might be a little bit more industrial. I, how, how does that rank? Or, or what kind of comparison? Fairfax uh, is usually number one okay. uh, in all of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Congratulations, Fairfax, number one in, in trash. No, yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, well, right. Well, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing, municipal solid waste. So we won't even go there. Um, and, and those numbers, some of the things we were touching on, like I said, um, our specific numbers, like I said, excluding a bunch of different categories, was 733,699 pounds of hazardous waste. Uh, of just of the really icky, nasty stuff, right? 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 That's Thank what we're you. saying? Yeah, so of mine. the icky, nasty stuff. Yeah, and like I said, that doesn't include um, just electronics. We're upwards of almost 1.5 million pounds mm-hmm. in addition to that. Right. Um, cooking, you know, uh, motor oil recycling was was upwards of, of close to, you know, 50,000 know, gallons or so. That is that used or mm-hmm. unused oil? So that's a, a tricky term. I'm actually glad you brought that up. Uh, one of the clarifications we we often have to give uh, questions that we get asked is, well, well, it's new. It's never been used. It's a statutory definition. So the EPA and the Department of Environmental Quality will call it, quote, quote unquote, used oil. It means new or used oil, not just that you actually ran it through your engine or that you opened up the bottle. It's new or used. That okay. is used oil. It's a statutory definition. Okay. So And we take both. Okay. You recycle both in the same tank. Okay. So back to the amounts uh, that you're getting and the transfer station is getting and Lorton is getting, right? Yes. Um, tell me, is that trending up or how, how do our numbers look? Our numbers have trended up, which 
you would think sounds bad, but it's good. It means we're capturing it. Mm-hmm. So, and that is our goal. So if you think, you know, in terms of Fairfax County, we have well over a million residents um, that live in Fairfax County. We're still only capturing overall a very small percentage right. of the number of individuals that we're collecting, but that number continues to trend up. So um, this past year, we set a new benchmark both in the amount of uh, household hazardous waste and uh, related categories that we were collecting uh, in total volume, uh, pounds and tons, as well as a new benchmark on the number of residents that were utilizing and participating in the program. And one that's of the, the good thing. That's the good thing. And, and the one thing a lot of people don't realize, if you're a Fairfax County resident, this program is paid out, uh, it's free to you, and it's paid out of the tipping fees that we collect that we service and fund the program free to residents. Uh, the transfer station is what's known as an enterprise fund. So we collect tipping fees through trash disposals and different things like that. And many of the programs that we offer free, we pay out of what we collect free for residents. Fantastic. Now, here's the million dollar question um, that we talk about. Uh, one of my favorite questions in the world so what? So what? So what? I, so we're doing this. Mm-hmm. What, what impact does that help? What does it improve? What are we, by you collecting this icky stuff, mm-hmm. what is that preventing? How does that help people? How does that help the environment? What is the so what here? So there's a number of environmental impacts, and, and, I, and I'll really localize it. Ultimately, everything that you do has an impact, and it makes its way back. It's the groundwater, you know, it's your drinking water. You know, that is, it's taken out of the ground. You're a local Fairfax County resident. And that stuff's important? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you like to drink the icky stuff. Right. Uh, so otherwise, yes, I would say absolutely. Um, there's groundwater contamination potentials. There's the amount of space. Um, we have to do something with it. And even when we are environmentally responsible and we recycle what we can recycle, we incinerate or reduce volumes to their smallest amounts. We're still left with a product. We neutralize what we can. We still have an alternative that we have to then treat for, which means we need landfill space. So everything that we do has a direct impact back. The largest uh, concern for any type of business, warehouse, or mode of transportation right now that causes more fires than anything are lithium batteries. Hmm. Lithium uh, primary, lithium ion batteries. And if you think about how many days can you go through without using an electronic device, your answer is probably zero. Right. I should say how many hours can you go without using an electronic device? It impacts us every day. We cause more fires through improper disposal of waste primarily due to lithium batteries or improperly disposed of chemicals that when mixed together cause uh, what's known as an exothermic reaction. It's a heat-induced reaction. And the heat that's released is, a, is an energy release that then causes fire from immense heat. Okay, so batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people may not know the difference when you say lithium-ion or certain battery types of batteries. Um, uh, you know, so there's cell phone batteries, there's batteries you use um, in your remote control uh, to run small appliances. So 
Let's classify the difference and give just real-world examples so folks know what you're talking about. Okay, so And what, which ones do you want uh, when you collect, and which ones can be thrown in the landfill? Yeah, certainly. No, it's a great question. So uh, two common terms that are used are rechargeable batteries and disposable batteries. Mm -hmm. The only types of batteries you really want to dispose of would be regular alkaline batteries. Those can go in your regular trash. So if you see the battery and it's alkaline is marked on it or written on it, then you know what you're dealing with. You can safely dispose of that in your trash. All other types of batteries pose other concerns. So as we mentioned, there's lithium batteries, lithium ion batteries. Mm -hmm. There's uh, NICAD batteries, which are nickel cadmium. Those are the, the a lot of the, the flat disc batteries, a lot of them. Those are generally your lithium mm -hmm. uh, batteries, kind of your flat um, circular batteries are more your lithium, lithium ion type. Right. When you think of most computers, laptops, those are usually lithium ion. Your little flats are the lithium batteries. Your NICAD, your nickel cadmium, and your nickel metal hydride type batteries are often uh, associated with some of your like power tools. Oh, okay. That you see those types like your Ryobis, your Milwaukee's, things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, more and more common, you are finding types of lithium batteries that are also working into those very types of usable products. Right. But those are the most common that you'll see uh, with those things. And then you also have a little less common, but things called uh, silver oxide batteries uh, and mercury batteries. One misconception is that people used to have to recycle your regular alkaline batteries that right. they were hazardous. Well. Decades and decades and decades ago, they used to be uh, made with small concentrations of mercury, and that's why we used to do alkaline okay. batteries, and that's really phased out now. Uh, so it's all the other types, with especially lithium, lithium ion, giving way to the future that are our greatest concerns, and that's what we find in these devices. Interesting. And uh, how about like car batteries and stuff like that? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, so one other common type uh, that I actually missed there was uh, what's known as lead-acid batteries. Uh, lead-acid batteries are hazardous. They contain both lead and sulfuric acid, and we see those in car batteries are the most common. 80% of lead is actually not removed from the Earth's core anymore. It's recycled lead, primarily from car batteries. And then the other common hmm. type that you'll see lead-acid batteries used are what's known as like your UPS batteries or your gel cell batteries, which are also a lead-acid type battery. And so we recycle those, and we absolutely want to capture those as well. So you sound so extremely educated on this whole process. So how did you get into this? <laughs> so I, I, um, um, I, You don't just sound like a guy that happens to be just collecting garbage, trash, materials. What, what's your background? Uh, so I, I first, uh, I was very uh, interested in environmental. Uh, when I was in high school, I actually won the countywide environmental scholarship award. Um, and then Where's that? That, uh, that was uh, in Harford County in Maryland. Okay. I'm from Maryland. I went to Towson. Oh, okay. My, my wife is actually a Towson alum. Her, okay. Her, she's a brilliant young lady. She, she's the smarter of the two of us. Yes. Shh, don't tell her. Not that this is a podcast or anything. Um, so I'm sure that won't leak out. But uh, yeah, she is, she's an, uh, an alum from Towson. She graduated with her master's in communications there. But 
when I was in high school, as I said, I, I won the environmental scholarship for the countywide scholarship, and that uh, really propelled me in my interests. And uh, I'm a uh, U.S. Coast Guard veteran, so uh, I was in the United States Coast Guard, active duty, and I uh, became the hazmat officer at my unit. Okay. And uh, I had the privilege of doing uh, marine science tech work or MST work. And one of the things that you really had to know and become familiar with is what's known as the Initial Indoctrination for Marine Inspectors course, or the IIMO. And that deals with all the regulatory statutes concern, uh, concerning the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Federal Water Pollution Control Act, the Resource Conservation Recovery Act, and CERCLA, the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation Liability Act. Say that five times fast. No, so, <laughs> so, no, I took those things and then, um, you know, with, with also going, you know, to college and, and kind of honing all of those skills really um, set my, you know, set my course and then ultimately found myself uh, working with military nerve agents uh, for the Army at Aberdeen Proving Grounds as a civilian mm -hmm. and made my way to become a senior field chemist with Clean Harbors where I spent ten and a half years uh, doing a lot of work uh, with that and then coming to the county here and I've been here six and a half years. See, I don't know. I, I find this fascinating. It, just the background of folks that come in, you know, especially with DPWES, you know, we've talked to urban foresters and folks working with trees their whole lives or, you know, they were interested in the environment and then they got into that. And it, it seems a little to make a little bit more sense that people that are into uh, growing things that they that they get into that. And so to hear your background is very fascinating to see how our folks that are so heavily involved in this stuff in the county, where they come from in their backgrounds. That That's really really impressive that's that's very cool um so and so you a fun journey a, a, a long time also so protecting um protecting the environment but also with the story of what you just told me it's also protecting um your employees your your coast guard um uh people that you serve with um protecting you're protecting a whole lot of things it's not just the environment and these materials of all kinds of different types, icky things that you need to protect and deal with, but also protecting the people you work with and here protecting the residents of Fairfax County. And tell me about protecting not just them, but the people that you work with and the people that have to manage this stuff. What is done? Is that OSHA? How is that handled? The people protecting the people that have to manage all of these nasty stuff that's coming in that we want to deal with the right way. Sure. So uh, there's a lot of different things that we try to tackle, um, both in uh, what's known as human health and the environment. The EPA, the Environmental Protect uh, Protection Agency, and the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality are all about human health and the environment. And so they go hand in hand. And so some of the programs um, that we do and some of the policies that we implement are designed to do just that. Uh, we work in conjunction with the EPA, with OSHA, uh, as well as DOT. So some of the training requirements that we have is that we have a very comprehensive medical surveillance program for, for human health and well-being for our site workers through OSHA. Mm -hmm. We And we do what's known as uh, HAZWAP, or Hazardous Waste and Emergency Operations, 24-hour and 40-hour uh, emergency response training. So we train our site workers to be able to recognize, identify, and respond to 
uh, hazardous potential situations and chemicals. We do uh, RECRA training, which is the EPA Resource Conservation Recovery Act uh, training. You are a man of many acronyms, that's for sure. <laughs> you know them all. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'll spare you some <laughs> other ones. Yeah, you got OPA 90 out there, Oil Pollution Act 1990. But, yeah, we of did it. Right, right. You, you know that one, though. Um, but, uh, no, we, we did a lot of different things. Uh, DOT training, Department of Transportation training. So those are all uh, annual trainings. Um, except for DOT, which is an initial and a triannual training, to protect workers, identify, understanding, uh, storage, marking, and labeling requirements for hazardous waste, shipment requirements, um, site worker response requirements. So uh, we have we have an array, you know, of those things in addition to that medical surveillance program uh, that we do, and then we're always um, taking on additional training webinars. Um, lithium batteries, like I said, is the big one right now. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of regulatory changes surrounding uh, lithium battery requirements in 2020. And then we also do universal waste training. Hey, this is great. You know, so when you go to these places, this is not just a garbage collector that, that is handling these materials. These guys are well-trained, well-educated. They're handling difficult stuff that they have to deal with and it requires a lot of training that actually as a resident that feels very comforting that it's just not some schmo that's taking your your paint can or your cooking oil or anything like that. yeah no absolutely uh one of the big ones that we always get all the time is we'll say you know well what do you have and and the more you know about the, uh, the better but sometimes it'll be like I don't know. I, my, you know, my, unfortunately, my, my mother, my father passed away and I don't know what it is. That constitutes a whole nother series of training known as unknowns training. Right. If you don't know, you know, we don't know um, to be able to identify that. And so we have to go through additional training requirements to try to identify because you can't take something and go, ah, I don't know what it is and pass it along. That's not beneficial to anyone. And it's not certainly not safe for anyone. So, there's a lot of uh, training involved um, with known and unknown chemicals. Okay. But the bottom line in what you just said, I'm going to take something out of that, is if we want residents to bring all this stuff, yes, including stuff that you don't know what it is or what you know what to do with it, and your folks, our folks, will... Um, talk to you about the right way to handle it and what we're able to take and help you out with that. Yeah, we we want you to make, you know, as best you can, the best known determinations of what you have um, and a working knowledge of what you have to whatever degree. Uh, But we don't want you to expose yourself and then we want you to bring it to us and we're going to then work to be able to figure those things out. The majority of the time, most things are known, but we, we do hope those those rare cases where it's not, and we don't want those things to linger because they become a danger to you, you know, and then they can become a danger you know, further down the line. So we want to make sure we get the right treatment standards necessary to properly dispose of that and help you out. That's what we're here for. Okay, so let's move on to, let's do our public service announcement. Let's remind our residents here, folks listening, about the program and about what we're asking them to do and how easy is it to bring stuff in and where to go. So we're asking you to safely dispose of your household hazardous waste and electronics recycling items at one of our two permanent locations, the I-66 transfer station, 
which is located at 4618 West Stocks Road in Fairfax, or at the I-95 Landfill Complex at 9850 Furnace Road in Lorton. Their both facilities are free to residents, as I said. They're open seven days a week, Monday through Friday, uh, roughly uh, approximately 8 to 4, and weekends 7 to 4. There's a slight variation between the two, but that's the general consensus. And uh, we will, like I said, we'll take them from there and we'll properly seg chemically segregate them, package them, and prepare them for disposal and shipment or reclamation, whatever the case may be. And just so sometimes people might drive up and get a little disoriented on exactly where to go. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about the signage. When, when someone drives in and they see they're kind of unsure on, you know, do I go in this lane or that lane or, you know, based on what they have. Sure. Just quickly, just tell me what they do. What you, you pull up, you got your stuff, you're ready to go, and some of the signage might be you're not quite sure where to go. Sure. So um, as I said, both of those uh, locations each have a permanent household hazardous waste uh, facility area as well as an electronics recycling facility area at both locations. So um, you can follow signage or if there's if you're unsure, you can always ask any person working there. You're going to identify us with uh, what we call high-vis or high-visibility um, vests or, or reflective markings, and you can ask for direction if you're unsure. Follow the signage back to household hazardous waste or electronic recycling. We do an individual customer line, so we'll pull you up one at a time. Just be prepared. We ask that you have your county identification with you to verify county residency. We'll pull you up. We'll have you yeah, step out of the vehicle. Yeah, we want no Prince William Loudon no. or Arlington. No, house. absolutely we, not. We, they can county, stay out. County residents only. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although we do certainly encourage them to do the right thing in their communities. But, yes, we're focusing on Fairfax County residents. But, yeah, just go ahead and pull up, and then we'll service you. If you have any questions or concerns, we'll be more than happy to help you with that. We'll have you unload everything, and then we'll take it from there. Now, I'm online. Where do I go to get more information on everything we just talked about? Uh, so, easiest way, we, we have a website. So, easiest way to do it. Uh, just say go to any search engine like Google or something like that. Type in Fairfax County Household Hazardous Waste. It'll take you right to our links. And uh, we're, we're really proud of uh, the website that we've done. We have a tremendous team, and we, we update it every year. And you can actually do uh, get a lot of good information there. We have a video demonstration of our Habitat for Humanity Latex uh, donation program down at the bottom of the page. You can even search different types of chemicals and products by alphabetical selection and type. So you can even go through, well, what should I do with this? Or is this qualify? All of that's right there. And then I also have a lot of my information uh, on there where you can reach out for different questions uh, that you can re uh, reach out for. And then we also have uh, what's very interesting to throw out there, not just residents, but businesses, Fairfax County uh, qualifying businesses and agencies. We, uh, again, same thing, you could use the search engine, type in Fairfax County and VSQG, very small quantity generator, or Fairfax County business hazardous waste. And we have a web, uh, web page dedicated for that that can assist you for potential uh, hazardous waste disposal as a commercial or business entity. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Brooks, the man with all of the information. It, it sounds easy. I know I've been a resident here for a long time and have moved a couple times and done some house cleaning. And 
I've had brought furniture in, old TVs, electronics, and I've got some waiting areas for to hold stuff that I need to bring in occasionally. So I've taught my girls to 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 recycle. And, of course, we've had Eric Forbes on, so we're looking at all the numbers on our plastics and recycling all that and, uh, and, and paper and boxes and now glass. So it's all handled by these guys. And so appreciate what you do, Daniel. Thank you again for coming in. This is always fun. Yep. No, um, I really enjoyed it. And like I, I, one thing I always say to all residents, you don't know what you don't know. And – Getting educated and getting exposed to something is the best way to learn. Um, feel free to reach out to me as well uh, with my email address here at the county. It's Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L dot Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S at FairfaxCounty.gov. And his cell phone number is. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Daniel, thanks. Thanks again. This has always been fun, and I appreciate your time. That's it for this episode of Fairfax County's EnviroPod. If you want to hear more, you can find us at fairfaxcounty.gov slash podcast. And, of course, at the DPWES website. I didn't mess it up yet today. Uh, where there are also a lot more information, as well as iTunes and SoundCloud. If you have any questions, comments, or an idea for a topic to be discussed on the EnviroPod, you can email swpdmail at fairfaxcounty.gov or call 703-324-5821. Thank you once again so much for joining us. And thanks to my good friend Irene. Hi, Irene, for making all this happen. Thanks. Uh, that's it for this episode of 4 EnviroPod. I'm Scott Coco. 